Hey there, it's the Business of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Damian Mason. We get together every week right here and we talk about issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. It's the Business of Agriculture. Got a great guest for you today. You might have heard of him if you're involved in agriculture. He goes by Machinery Pete. That's his business. That's his moniker. His real name is Greg Peterson. He's a TV show. He's all over social media. He has a business that's really interesting. He, he uh, reports on values of farm machinery. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that business, talk about that model, talk about where farm machinery is going. He just saw me speak here at a, uh, a Moving Iron Summit uh, hosted by Casey Seymour, who's also been a guest on the Business of Agriculture podcast. And he heard some of my predictions about the future of ag, about consumer trends that are going to shape what we grow, how we grow it, and also what's going to happen in the world of machinery. Greg Peterson, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here, Damien. Thanks for being here. You're a great guest. You got good stuff to say. I, I know about you from social media. Met you here at this conference. Okay, tell me about your business. Well, 30 years ago, I started compiling auction prices, all types of farm and construction equipment. And, you know, that was before the internet. It was before, way before anyone said big data. But I, at the core of it, people wanted and needed to know what their used equipment was worth, either just for fun, like what's my 4020? Hey, is that going up or down? Or I need to buy or trade or sell this thing. I need to be plugged into what it's worth. So that was the core of the business. Over the years, it's grown. Uh, now, our MachineRepeat.com website, we've got 100,000-plus pieces for sale. We really want to be a marketplace for dealers and individuals now, farmers. You can list your tractor for sale by owner. So it's, we've had a lot of fun. So you grew up in the farm machinery business in Minnesota. Your parents, your mom, your dad your, uh, had a farm machinery business. So you grew up in there. So you're a little kid. I'm, I'm guessing you're a little kid. You're a couple years older than me. So uh, you're four years older than me. So I'm guessing there it is. It's the 1970s. You're in there pedaling around on your little uh, toy tractor, pedal toy uh, every day. And you're like, a, you're completely natural being around farm machinery. Am I right? Well, it's, that's how we grew up. Just going down to the dealership and, uh, I mean, yeah, hitting the used lot, and uh, I think we did have that pedal tractor for sure, a forty twenty. Um, but yeah, you know, I was just trying to help out dad. And the part spins were always interesting to me, and uh, messing around on the lot, looking at all those at the time were huge machines, and now they're of course small machines. But yeah, so the, we talked about that today, or I talked about today that the machinery is going to get smaller. Uh, before we get into all that, um, the the background the background then you're you're up you're around this and then it's 35 years ago and what were you doing at the time i was when i started in the business november of 1989 i was 23 i was an accounting major out of college um didn't really like accounting (laughs) i needed some high school guidance counselor to tell me that what i really wanted to do was get into marketing or economics but uh, anyway i got the accounting degree i like the auditing angle of getting out and looking under the hoods of businesses and talking to people but uh, my wife was here behind me. We got married that summer of 89. She had a teaching job in her hometown of Rochester. So I was, we moved to Rochester from the Twin Cities, and it was in that one-month window. That was the little gap when I, I started compiling these auction prices. So a lot of happenstance. So, you know, you, you weren't even employed. I was unemployed, driving, looking for a job. I remember I actually drove out to do a training with the NAFB to go around and sell businesses to join the NAFB. Yeah, was, was it National Association or National uh, Federation of Small Businesses, uh, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm getting too old, I forget. But as we were uh, going from business to business that day, the person I was with, we were trying to turn left into a motorcycle store off of like Highway 59 in Marshall, and a semi was passing us at the same time. 
and I'm in the passenger seat. I look over, and the semi scrapes, and uh, I see sparks flying, and that was my closest brush with death, death on a job interview 30 years ago. So I guess uh, Machine Repeat was, was meant to be after that. I guess. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, you're unemployed. It's 1989. You've got a semi-ag background because you are in the farm equipment business growing up, but really that wasn't your thing. You were going to be an accountant. You could have gone and worked anywhere, and you chose agriculture. Of all the times you get into agriculture – as an industry, somewhere between 1982 and 1992 would have been about the worst time, and you chose it. Yeah, well, I think actually, any I'm sort of fascinated by business cycles, but I think the the biggest opportunity is is coming out of the worst periods, and so at at that point, it was the pain of the 80s. You know, unfortunately, with farm valuations, farm land, and equipment dropping, and so many farmers going under, that created the need for oh, what's what's my five year old tractor worth? Because it was, it might be fell twenty five percent. Someone needed to document it. So when I started, again, there was no internet then, early computers. But I would go around to a farm auction, and I could see everyone there writing on a little scribble on a little piece of scratch paper. They were writing down yeah. everything. Okay, brought. what this com- what this John yeah. Deere sixty six hundred sold for this this yep. uh, Farmall eight sixty six or whatever it is sold for. So, so to me, that was proof of concept. It was like that. This information matters to okay. people. So you're there also writing it down on a piece of paper because you don't have a laptop back then. Nope. And then you go back to a main, to an office with a desktop computer, which back then looked like a, a five, Volkswagen was sitting on your desk. Five and a quarter inch floppy drive. Okay. Yeah. Right. With a floppy drive. And you started compiling all this. Who, how, what was the plan then? Who would want it? Well, at that time, uh, I mean, farmers would want it, but then right. what are you going to do? Banging door to door to sell it to some nope. farmer? It just is going to be too hard. So you knew that, right? So it was a couple of things. One is we identified uh, banks as a key banks and dealers. So we did mass mailers, postcards, flyers out to those folks, and I was only charging nineteen ninety five a year for this booklet I'd put out. It was a you know magazine size, eight by eleven or whatever. And so it was a year's a year's data compiled on every well, auction I, and I would go quarterly. So we put out four books a year and you know, farmers would sign up, dealers. My big break was in ninety two, out of the blue I got a request from a new ag publication. It was called US Agriculture. Now that was when USA Today was making their they were the big story in media. Mm-hmm. So this outfit, which I think was owned by Intertech in the Twin Cities, wanted to they wanted to do a color splashy US ag newspaper. Graphs, charts, bars. And they saw what I did and they said, Hey, Greg, why don't you write a column for us on auction pricing? And I told them no. I said, I thanks for the call, but I I'm not a writer. They called back and by that time I'd figured out, uh, don't be an idiot. This is free publicity. Yeah, so, you could be a writer because you're really just saying, I attended these places yeah, and this is what the numbers are. Right. So actually, even though I didn't train as a writer, liberal arts college and a little school in Minnesota, I, I'd been writing. I'd been reading the newspaper every day. So I actually mimicked the way I wrote about farm machinery on, on, on the sports page because part of me always thought of the, mach- the topic of farm machinery to me was always the sports pages of farming news. Because there's tons of news on markets, and, you know, that's awesome. We definitely need that. But nobody was really reporting under the hood on machinery. It was all, okay, here's a new new tractor. Right. But what's happening with the five-year-old one? And that's the niche I stumbled on. Yeah, so then the thing is, you probably at some point said, I got this news publication or this thing I send out also every quarter to my people. I'm getting it 1995 a year. You're basically breaking even. So smartly, I imagine somebody, you said, how about if I get some advertising in this thing? 
Yeah, I mean, it was so small. I had two part-time jobs from 91 through 95. Um, I worked at the local newspaper three nights a week from 9 to 1 a.m., taking sports calls, writing up volleyball matches and wrestling. Uh-huh. You know, I got to pay the bills. But, yeah, it just it, it kept growing just slowly enough. I always figured in the back of my head, I can make this a great part-time gig, just hire someone, they can run it, and I can go do whatever if it doesn't grow fast enough. Yeah, but so fortunately, it starts taking off, and you start getting some sponsorship, and then when was the big turning point? Big turning point was the first week of March of 2000. It had been two years. I knew we needed to get a website. Now, again, it's it's hard to remember what it was like 19 years ago, but I had a hard time finding companies that could put up a website with a database component to it. I finally found a company in Minneapolis. It does seem interesting today oh. with the technology today. We have kids in their in a in their basement of their parents' house shooting and producing videos yep. better than my demo reels were right. just 10 years ago, yeah. five years ago. So yeah. 20 years ago, you're thinking, well, what the hell? Of course you needed a website. Well, in the early 2000s, like, do I really need a website for this? And then also, how do I get a website that's going to compile the data? Yeah, it was a different world technologically. And how do I pay for it? Because I didn't have money at the time. I think it was like, I think it was $18,000 it was going to cost me to put up machinerypeat.com. And I, I got to the point, I told my wife, I said, I got to do it. Because if, again, if it flames out, I'll just, whatever, I'll just make this part-time gig. I'll go get a job, accounting job, be fine. But when we turned the lights on, I was at the office in the Twin Cities, the designers, and we flipped the switch. And again, there was no Facebook or anything. Right. But I had I had told people in my column, our website is coming. So we flipped the switch on, and in the 45 minutes, I was sitting there with the programmer. He goes, oh, look at that. He goes, you just got six new subscribers. And we went from 1995 to 6995 because we, we had been putting out a three and a half inch disc that we were mailing to yep. people. So it was immediately like, okay, well, that was a good move. And then we just kind of kept slowly growing from there. Yeah. So now to today, you compile data and data, of course, is all over the place. And you're saying uh, I'm almost like a reporting, right? Yeah. You know, it's uh, I don't dictate what's going to happen. I just... I sit there and I look, it's almost like we're like the ESPN sports center, but of farm machinery. So every day there's stuff happening. Items are being sold. And so we've got a million auction prices compiled. And when something is sold today in Maryland, that's, I can look at it and go, Oh, well that's in line. Oop, that's high. Oop, that's low. And then that gets into the, well, why is it low? And then, so it's a never ending loop, um, that I just have a ton of fun with, uh, following daily. Yeah. And so, you get a subscriber, so the way you make money now, tell the tell the listener here how you make money now. Well, again, it, it it's changed a little bit, but if you go to machinerypeat.com, you can still subscribe to our auction price data. It's like 100 bucks a year, and you get a password. You Then you look at everything I'm looking at, you know, 20 years worth of data, updated daily. But the main thing we do is, of course, now we have like 100,000 pieces for sale. So implement dealers from across uh, North America, they list their machinery with us and pay a fee to do that. Because you have great following and you have great right. presence, they're, they're, they know we can get in front of potential buyers on machinerepeat.com. Yeah, it's like a car soup, you know, that kind of a thing. Sure, but for auto trader from whatever, right. whatever. And through, the, through our TV show and radio and social media and national print uh, with my partners at Farm Journal, we just continually push, point people to machinerypeat.com. And now we've added, if, if you know, Damien, if you had a tractor for sale, you know, that's the, the problem we're attacking now is currently the model is, well, I'll throw it on Craigslist, which, okay, well, that's fine, but two problems. One, 
is that when you do that, you're going to get 15 calls from scammers who who saw your listing and they'll say, hey, why don't you pass $100 and list? You're just going to get bombarded. The second problem is when you list it on Craigslist, when people people are living in Google, so they type into that Google box, they don't even know what they're doing, Yes. but they just type in, oh, I want a John Deere 569 round baler. And then, you know, the Craigslist listing won't show up. But if you do a for sale by owner with machine repeat, we've hired experts in Chicago. That's all they do is figure out how to make that show up first. Yeah, so on you're, you're almost like the MLS does for real estate. Yep. Now you're kind of that for machinery, right. meaning, yeah, we all know if I have a house, I can sell it without a realtor, but the MLS really helps me do it without a realtor. Right. You've got a unique situation. You are the, you're the, not really the advisory, you're the reporting firm. Uh, on on pricing uh, throughout North America, and then you're also a marketing selling firm. Yeah, format. We, we built a two sided market, which is not an easy trick to do. I think we've been able to do it because of the for a fairly slow accounting major uh, <laughs> from Minnesota. I mean, you really pulled something off there. Well, it was built on the on the thirty years of trust that was built up. <laughs> you know, which I don't I don't take uh, for granted. I am so appreciative of the farm audience following along all these years. But again, I think we were giving them something different back 15, 20, 25 years ago. And just in fact, just this week, a guy from uh, Texas sent me a note, called me up, and he said his dad was had passed away. They were trying to value and sell his tractor. And he sent me a picture of a column I wrote in 1994. His dad had tore it out and kept it because in that column I addressed his tractor model. And so that was the oh, that's the Bible of what this thing is worth. But that was 25 years ago. Yep. So the the... Yeah, so I told you, my brother, who was not an internet guy, he's no longer with us, was a farm guy in Northeast Indiana, told me about you before I ever knew who you were, before I was even really doing a lot in the ag uh, uh, speaking business, uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I believe it was. He's like, hey, there's this guy that goes around and just keeps all this uh, database of all these prices. Okay, so talk about equipment now, because our listeners are all over the the business of ag, and I might even share this with my just straight non-ag people, because it's such a good story of your... uh, Establishing machinerepeat.com. All right, now we know how you make business, make money, and we know what your business is. You go to all these places, but you also have other people reporting this for you. How many places do you go? Well, that's the one thing. People have the perception that, that myself, Machine Repeat, every day is bopping around the country going to these sales. And the reality is I've been sitting in my basement in Rochester for 30 years. I'm a low overhead guy. That's the way I built my business. What I worked hard to do is build, build out the network of auction companies, like like Sullivan's today was here at the event. But we have 1,100 auction companies throughout U.S. and Canada. So as the Internet and social media has developed and just communication, now the auction companies, I mean, I am on the road a lot filming for our TV show and stuff, but the the info finds me now. Yeah, you are at events because of you do appearances and you get your TV show and you do go to actual auctions, mm-hmm. but you're not as often as some people might would think. Uh, question for you. Do auctions go away? When uh, I was a kid, you weren't a kid. By God, okay, farm went broke. Right. There was a farm auction. Uh, old guy decides he and his wife are going to retire. There's a farm auction. Uh, six people have a bunch of crap they want to get rid of from an old beat-up New Holland haybine to, uh, you know, uh, right. uh, whatever. They put together a consignment auction. What about auctions moving forward five years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now? Well, the auction method, I mean, if you pull back, it's really interesting. It's an ancient, I mean, eight centuries old method of selling. And there's a reason it's still around because it, it frankly, it works. It's it does emotional. Work. 
But now what we see... But it also, it also brings out the true price that day. When yes. people try to always say, what is what is it worth? And right. I, I remember we had a dispute in my family when my mom died about the value of the house. And I said, I, I already told you what it's worth, but since you all know better, put an auction sign out and I will sign off on, on the auction. I, I agree with all that. And right. then people know, well, what if this? And I said, you just told me what it's worth, so why wouldn't it fetch that at auction? Right, right. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's fascinating, the whole cycle of it. It's... Uh, Again, reporting on it for 30 years has been interesting because you could put any piece of equipment up for sale, and, and then you could ask people, well, what do you think about that combine? Okay, now you might say it's worth $200,000, and I'm not going to say your your opinion of it is invalid, and I might say it's worth one sixty, and I'm not invalid either at one sixty. but let's find out. Okay, now the one thing you can't argue about, that gavel hits, boom, okay, brought 185 So now it's 185 and then I just take that and blow it out. So we want to show you 40 examples like that that just happened on that one item to give you clarity on it. But I think auction method will stay around. But the online thing, now this gets interesting because now you're getting into the analyzing millennials and the way they roll and how they do things. And it, like the car business, I think, is just ahead of the farm equipment business. They've figured out that, you know what, we have to be cool with our customer having more information than we have. So now as a buyer of a car, we walk into the old days of dickering and all that. I mean, that's just, that's toast. If you want to hold and, on and, to and, that. And the person that's 24 or five years old has no idea that there was a time, not right. very long ago, right. that it was a stressful, like oh. you dreaded it, you knew you could do it, but you thought, I don't even want to have to go in there and fight with these used car salespeople. Right. Yeah, I wonder what young people think of when they watch that Seinfeld episode from like 96 or 5 about going to see your car dealer and the stress you described and the selling the undercoating and all that stuff. So now these young people do all their research online. And, you know, my company's been out there for 20 years. We arm them with, okay, here's what you're used, whatever is worth. So that, to me, opens up new exciting possibilities, whether you're a farm equipment dealer or an auction company. You can fight it. But, you know, fighting, it's like you described the future trends. You're coming, if you Feel free to fight them as long as you want. And, as, and I'm, I'm 54 almost. And as we get older, that's our tendency is change is difficult. But change is opportunity. Change is money. Change is, is everything. So an auction company leaning into that, you know, I think even if you go a straight online auction, there's still ways to personalize it beyond, okay, say, Damien, you list five items on this online auction. Okay, right now what we have is you just type in all the description of it. You can take a lot of pictures, and that's awesome. What I want to see happen, and what we're trying to facilitate at MachineRepeat.com, is a, is a third dimension where I want to see you, Damien, standing by or running your tractor and telling me about, you know, I bought this thing 17 years ago from Smith Implement. It was a cloudy Tuesday, blah, blah, blah. And what I found with social media over the years is there's incredible power in that truth of that base level video because you know the farmer might be in tennessee and he'd see this damien this guy in indiana he'd go yeah you're standing by your alice 190 xt or whatever and it's it's hard to describe but that's why the auction method works because it's personal yeah there's that and then there's of course the idea that it, it's instantaneous uh you know i sold a property at auction and i was happy because it was done right it, totally it, you yep. knew it was done as buyer and seller you know that at the end of that day it is going to be a transaction okay we talked about the uh business and early on in this podcast we said that that equipment was going to get smaller now that's my prediction 
I gave my reasons today of why machinery gets smaller. You and I both, roughly the same age, can say that the first tractors we were ever on, from a Ford 8N or a Ford Gordon Jubilee to a, a, a Farmall H or whatever it is you right. want to bring up, till today, there's been one constant. Bigger, bigger, bigger. And not just bigger by, oh, like a, a, a 50 pounds bigger, three inches bigger. You know, we're talking about massively big. In the future, I see machinery getting smaller and autonomous, and I gave my reasons why. Autonomous because in the country, we don't have operators. In the country, uh, we've got, we can work 24-hour days when the weather is finally fit, and you can't do that with a human operator as easily as you can with a machine. Autonomous because uh, you can have multiple machines moving in the same field at once. Now, granted, we love those pictures of nine combines going through the field, staggered like we do, but we could be doing a lot with uh, very very little human resource. I also say smaller because the machines are so big, they take up the entire road, they're going to crush our infrastructure, and also uh, they, uh, they squish the soil. Those are my reasons on autonomous and smaller. Your go. Well, I was fascinated listening to your, you know, your, your predictions, Damien. I, I have a hard time finding any fault with your reasoning. Um, I think the bigger, bigger, bigger thing is, in fact, I was writing back 20 years ago, so I was... 33, 32, 33, 34 at the time writing about, boy, I was talking about the cost end of it. Do you think these combines or these tractors can keep going up in price? And at the time, you know, so a brand new early 90s, what, a John Deere 9,500? a couple hundred and now it's 500? Right. But, but again, it's hard to remember what we thought 20 years ago. But at the time when I would ask people that, no, no, you can't keep going up 4% a year, but it has. Yeah. Now, physically... And, you know, there's the physical part of the machine, but to me, that's tied directly to the cost. At what point, I always look at it like a pirate ship with a plank. Okay, so if you're a manufacturer, and even if you're Mother Deer, and you, awesome product, and you have such dominance, how far out on the plank cost-wise can you go before you, I won't say fall off, but Mm. the market, and one of the little sub-trends I see, and I've got 30 years of data to show it, <clears throat> is that people make decisions based, it's it's tied to the size you're talking about. So we're seeing little su- subtrends that would support your theory of good condition, smaller equipment that's older and cost less being bid up in, in a very difficult environment right now because <clears throat> people <clears throat> people want that, that nice smaller combine because they don't, they don't make them anymore. Right. And so, no, I, I could totally see it happening. I think autonomous, <clears throat> I don't think there's any disputing that that's going to be a force. It'll just be a question of, you know, adaptation rates. Um, but I think the writing's on the wall there. So autonomous, yes, we both agree, not for every task. Smaller, for the reasons I said, our infrastructure. You see, when you said compare it to price, money can continue to move. I mean, look at the federal government. Who would have said that we'd have $23 trillion of debt? That's, uh, that's almost an infinite thing. Size is not infinite because the building that you and I are both looking at out the window of our hotel room as we're recording this, that can't drive down the road. So if a, if a piece no. of equipment becomes like that, it's, it can't get under power lines. It can't go across a bridge. Uh, so that's where I look at the size. It's probably just about peaked. You think I'm probably right on that? Well, I, I was intrigued by one of your other predictions. You were talking about, well, not so much a prediction, but a fact. You you quoted the two areas of growth with farm sizes. And so you said, what, over 2,000 acres? And, and under like 10. Okay, under 10. So I think what, what I would guess would happen is that under 10 will slowly expand. Like I got a college buddy 
that has followed a lot of the trends and fads over the years. He was in the whole mortgage business when that was great, you know, and you know, it's fine. That's just the way life works. But now he called me up and he's growing hemp. So, all right. So this guy's growing hemp and he's small because we know that you're not going to be probably great big starting out. And then, right. So here's my, my question. Don't you see some more growth in these people that are doing 10 acres? Yeah, they grow a little bit in acres. They're not going to grow from 10 acres to 2,000 probably, but there's going to be a growth there. It could be organic arugula. It could be all natural uh, cantaloupe uh, interspersed with uh, kale. Whatever that thing is, that probably grows. And, you know, they don't need great big machinery. Right. But there is also support from community-supported agriculture, from farmer's markets, from farm-to-table, to all these movements. There could still be something there. Yeah, I, I think, again, I, I see that growing over the over the decades to come. You know, that 10-acre guy growing to be 50 acres. I mean, so that doesn't sound like much, but he just 5 x Right. You know, <laughs> and if he's growing sweet potatoes or whatever, kale, I mean, uh, it's a little easier there. I was interested when you were talking about, you know, the farm audience, the farm sectors push to educate through social media and you know it's a little hard to do when you you got 10,000 acres in a way to me it's almost easier if you got 20 acres yeah because the person can get their hands around 20 acres if they person from minneapolis twin cities comes out to your buddy's place and sees that over here they're got they got hemp and what's going to happen with that or cbd oil or what the thing might be and on these five acres we're actually doing uh community supported agriculture where we do sweet potatoes and arugula and we do it because of our climate blah 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 and it's a crop rotation the average person in the suburb that's never grown one calorie of food greg can still then look at that and say oh i get it you take them out and drop them off in <laughs> nebraska where there's a ten thousand acre operation and a five hundred thousand dollar combine yeah, yeah a half million dollar machine right. and that's just one of their half million dollar machines they've got four more half million dollar pieces of equipment uh you know in the same field you might as well land on mars yeah it's just too foreign for them uh okay what else when we talk about trends and predictions okay uh we i guess we're, we've made our, our bold predictions let's talk about trends what are trends because people listen right now say man he's got the he's got the guy on he's got machinery pete trend uh you said already the smaller end of modern combines are fetching higher prices because the operator that's only like what a thousand acre operator says i don't need that great big huge thing yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit supply and demand there because on the one hand, there's also more of the bigger mammoths sitting on the dealer lots. So it's, you know, there's, uh, it, you know, that drives the price down a little bit. But I, I think what I see, uh, the biggest trend I see, Damien, is even in these tough times, I mean, we're like six and a half years now since commodity prices uh, decreased to their current levels, which, you know, we wish they were higher. But um as this is, time is stretched out, on the one hand, at the macro level, the national media will call and they'll talk to me and they, they want to paint it as the 80s. And I just, it's not that. I'm not saying it's easy, but used equipment values are actually holding um, and, in fact, rising if you have a good condition, like if on your farm, if you had a seven-year-old loader tractor or whatever, that thing is, that thing's in demand. Yeah. So why is that? Is it's not because is it because uh, obviously it's because of demand. The prices are holding, but did the manufacturers cut back on manufacturing of certain items? Well, it's uh, it's they're needing to update. So when 2013 came, prices fell. A lot of farmers all had a, 
probably at any point in history never had as new a fleet of equipment as they had right then. They bought a lot of iron, maybe too much, a yeah, lot they, for tax they, purposes. To avoid paying taxes right. in 2008, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and 13, they went in and by golly, they bought up. So they need nothing. Yeah, they, they could they could default and say, I'm good, I'm set. Well, okay, now let's think about the fall we had last year and the spring we just had. And now you're six years down the road. So whatever your equipment have, you can afford, you just cannot afford any downtime. So now your choice, well, I got to upgrade, so I need to buy a new or used. Well, what's happened with the price of new? We talked about that before. It's, you know, 4% a year. It's just up, 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 which is totally f- fine, and we understand why. But what that has done, it makes the good condition used so much more attractive just because it's cheaper. You know, what we found, I call it the machine repeat limbo bar. No matter how crappy things are in ag, there's always a price point when the condition of used, if you stay under that bar, and right now it's about 60K, if you stay under that good condition, uh, there's not that much movement with used values. They're holding steady. The farther you go over that limbo bar, and the limbo bar got up to about 100,000 bucks in 2012. On which things? Everything. <laughs> okay. Everything. Doesn't matter if it's a hay baler, if it's okay. you know tractors, combines, sprayer, planters. If you stay under that number, things sell well. And again, if you drift over it, and again, that's my pirate ship plank that I'm uh-huh. wondering about. How far, just because you can raise the price 4% every year. There's a limbo bar. Well, is that good business to do that? Yeah, there's a limbo bar. And you had a point, well, I was curious, you, you had your slide, you showed that you deer and case autonomous tractors and you know the way they look and all that was was good commentary but again just because a company whether it's farm equipment or cars or your uh, example with motorola on cell phones just because you're it you're dominant now doesn't guarantee that you will be so i'm sort of interested you know who decides to push into the farm equipment space will anybody or if you get autonomous and you know if if your prediction is right that it's smaller and the world seems to run out of Silicon Valley. Will it be Google and uh, Apple? Who knows? And Amazon that are funding the future of farm machinery. And by the way, the listeners saying, wait a minute, what's he talking about? In my presentation that Mr. Peterson was able to watch, I put up the pictures of the Case IH and the John Deere first runs at autonomous machinery. And they looked like an old company that didn't know any better. Like when you went to your grandpa and said, hey, hey, I'm doing this new thing called social media. And then they went and got out an old newspaper and said, yeah, let me show you how. It, it looked, it, it, it sort of paints the picture. And then the example I gave was Motorola was once the dominant force in cellular technology. And when we were told that the whole undeveloped world is going to develop without phone lines are going to get they're going to get cell phones and, and they're going to uh, have handheld technology. We thought it was going to be Motorola that did it. It was not Motorola that did it. So when you think about it, I'd say autonomous machinery might be coming out of Google someday. And it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, it certainly could. I, I know that or a uh, company that doesn't even exist. Yeah. I know that you know, as a company with, you know, you could look at John Deere and their invest and it's incredible investment on their end. Cause I think they're looking, you know, rightly, they're looking at the at the future, and they want to be prepared for that. And I think that the farm equipment companies are more data companies now. Um, the, the phrase I've heard from the farm equipment business that was quoted to them is, data is the new oil. This was a few years ago, but I heard that, and I thought, well, that is exactly 100% correct. Because whatever, I mean, farmers need better information to, to, to be more efficient and get that better yield in a tough environment. So however an equipment company can help them do that, and be their partner, that's where they got to run in that direction. 
Yeah, I'd say that there's something to that. Uh, there's a lot of other uh, companies that are trying to get that data also. Uh, last prediction, trend, et cetera, that you see. Because also, uh, we know we, we've gone through the whole thing about trends and predictions. Um, we can also say that we, we don't know for sure, but I can tell you it's going to move fast. It's moving faster than people would realize on the equipment front. You're still going to have a picture of a cool old John Deere uh, 40 series tractor, but as was pointed out today, yeah, the guy who founded Kinsey bought that for his museum. It's not actually going to some field to do field work. Well, a couple interesting points there. Uh, about 50% of those type tractors that we see sell, like a super low hour 40 or like that was a 4640 with 800 hours brought 61,000 bucks half the time it's for the collector museum but the other half maybe even 60 percent is bought by a farmer and this gets into the size of equipment a little bit but he will say you know what that was my favorite tractor and okay what's a new one cost 150 horse and they'll say well it costs this and they'll say here's my one chance to buy a brand new like new 4640 and so, yeah, John Kinsenbaugh bought it from the museum, but there were three other guys that wanted to take it home and farm with it, which is crazy. But it's it tells you that they want a little bit cheaper and simpler and that, you know, that's not a new option now. So then it creates a very competitive for the best condition used. The other thing I'm just wondering about trend wise is, uh, you know, and you were correct. You said the number of auctions is going to pick up. That's exactly what I'm seeing. August of 19 was the busiest August I've seen in 30 months. And it was, it's, it's older farmers retiring, and we understand why, given the current environment. So we know how fast time goes, and you're correct. Things change faster than we think. So snap our fingers 10, 15 years. I just am curious the age of the farmer. And I'm hoping that through some means that isn't pure pain that there'll be opportunities new windows for younger farmers to get a foot in. And maybe that's the 10 to 50 acre farms we were talking about. I don't know. Well, it'll be very difficult for them to be in the big scale. If the if the middle scale is getting squeezed and then the big scale, the capital requirements, my goodness, are going to be $6 million to $20 million worth of uh, machinery. <laughs> that's yeah. going to be hard for them. Yeah, it's your road, to, your entry points are, are being squeezed, and that's not a good thing for ag in the long run. So we got to address that. Well, of course, there's also uh, a bunch of people that are 21 years old that don't have a license, nor do they even own a car in metro areas because they just Uber. Yeah. That's the subject for our, another podcast someday, Mr. Greg Peterson. Are we going to end up seeing that with tractors where I don't own equipment? I don't own farm machinery. I just dial it up on my cell phone and I say I need it on Thursday because we're going to dry out and it's going to come from some other place well, like Uber. you touched on that in one of your points. You didn't dive too deep because you, you had so much great stuff you were covering. But I talked about 2015 as the year of the lease. And it was, it was an offshoot of the slowdown in end of 13, 14 early 15 so manufacturers and farm equipment dealers you got to get stuff moving and the lease became the oh well, let's lease it and it takes away the back end risk for the farmer you yeah. know i know my number but my thought at the time well, was two things one can they avoid the train wreck of the late 90s where they, they had too much coming off lease couldn't sell it they right. did they managed that that was good the other longer term issue is are you training your customer base away from the historical model of, of buying pride of ownership yep. which if you ask joe farmer particularly in the Midwest where you are in Indiana or Minnesota. Yeah, they always wanted to say, this is that tractor I bought in 1977, and look, it looks just like it did when because I bought it. I take care of it. that's a piece of who you are and identify as a farmer. Now, are we, and again, as a function of the rising costs, are we necessarily, are we removing that DNA from Joe Farmer? 
I, it, and is that a good thing? It might be a good thing if you're a manufacturer. I don't know. But it, it's a pretty interesting thing to chew on. I hadn't thought of it. You know what? We could do this all day, and I'm sure that the listeners stay with us. But until next time, because next time we do this, we can talk about the changing landscape of ownership versus Uberization of farm machinery. We can also talk about when those autonomous machines we predict are coming. In the meantime, his name's Greg Peterson. He has a company called Machine Repeat. If they want to look you up, if they want to be a subscriber, what do they do to find you? Well, I'm always hanging out at machinerypeat.com. Just go there, folks. A lot of links. You can look for machinery. You can list yours for sale. You can follow him on social media yep. at Machine Repeat. is his Twitter handle, facebook.com slash machine repeat. Uh, he's got videos on YouTube. He knows a lot about He knows a lot what's happening out there. Thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me, Damon. Really fun. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture.